Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, we are wrapping up the summer season of films, and it looks like there is at least one horror film on the horizon that I think a number of us horror fans are looking forward to. I am. Yeah, me too. And uh, as soon as I saw trailers for it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is almost uh, long overdue, really. It is Stephen King's It. And uh, in honor of that, we thought uh, we would pay tribute to the 1990 television miniseries version of It, which freaked out both of us when we were kids. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're going to do that with our very first miniseries episodes <laughs> of the podcast. So because the television show was broadcast in two two-hour chunks, which uh, makes for a four-hour-long movie, but in this case, without commercials, it's really only about three um, we yeah. are going to do the first episode tonight on the first half of the of the the television miniseries, and then we will do next week's episode on the second half of the television miniseries, which is handy because the story is kind of broken up into two halves. It's about yep. some kids who conquer uh, an evil or think they are, they've conquered an, an evil when they are kids, and then are called back to fight it and finish the job as adults. Now. Growing up in the 80s, uh, Stephen King's novel, It, I believe came out in 1985, or was it 1986? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 1985. This was the book that it seemed like everybody around me was reading. It's about a foot thick, I think, uh-huh. and uh, over a thousand pages. And it, at the, I, I think even to date, it is Stephen King's longest novel, and he's not known for writing short books. Right. But I remember growing up just this book being everywhere, and I should have read it at that time. I did read the Tommyknockers. I read I read a lot of Stephen King's books around this time, but I never conquered it for some reason or another. But one thing I did do was watch the television miniseries. And Craig, you can totally back me up on this. Like, again, in the 80s, and maybe earlier than that, but definitely not now, when these sorts of things came on TV, they were like a major event. Oh, yeah. Huge. Like, nobody, I mean, everybody and their mother watched this. And, and, you know, it's kind of unequaled today that you would have, like, one thing that everybody from young to old is going to sit down and watch at the same time and talk about the next day. And so when this came on, I watched it, my family watched it, my friends were all watching it, and then everybody was talking about it in school the next day. I remember very distinctly in band practice, our our band teacher interrupting. I I would have been in eighth grade, I think, and our band teacher interrupting and going, did you guys see it last night and we were all like yeah and she just looks at us like that is the scariest thing i've ever seen in my life (laughs) (laughs) and i do i remember being really freaky uh the evil clown thing probably got its start pretty much from this movie i mean from this movie on we all decided that clowns are scary so how about your history with it do you have any special uh, nostalgic stories to tell Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I feel like any horror fan from our generation has to, you know, this has to be a memory from their youth. Um, And it is of mine. Yes, absolutely. Not only did I watch it, but like it was such a huge build of anticipation leading up to it. Like I was so excited about it. And uh, I remember back in those days uh, when 
the only method for recording and saving things was VHS. I would, I had a, a TV in my room, a little tiny, probably like nine or 12 inch uh, TV in my room and a VCR. If you wanted to record things, but you didn't want to have to watch the commercials over again later, you had to, you had to record and then you had to pause when the commercials came on. Uh, and then you had to remember to unpause uh, right. when, when it came back on. And I, was so excited about this. And when I, I was so excited when I was watching it, that there were a couple of times that I would pause it to, to edit out the commercials. And then I would forget to unpause it when it came oh, back on. No. So, <laughs> so, so the, the VHS recording that I had of it that I watched over and over and over and over again, had a few scenes missing because I had oh. forgotten. <laughs> oh, no. I had forgotten to unpause it after the commercials. And it really wasn't until it, you know, much later that it uh, started re-airing on TV sometimes. And um, when the DVD came out, which I I, I bought, uh, that, that some of the scenes were brand new to me because <laughs> I, <laughs> I had watched it so many times. And it was also like my go-to sick day movie. Like if I stayed home. Uh, from school sick I would always put this in because it was like nice and long and I could just lay in my bed and watch mm. this movie and it was I just remember I have such fond memories of this movie and I'm so nostalgic about it that even when I was watching it last night and and I've talked about how my partner doesn't really like horror movies and he particularly doesn't like scary clowns. Like they really <laughs> freak him out. Um, but, but he was like, I'll watch this one with you. I mean, even he, uh, you know, also being our age, you know, it was a, an event in his life that he remembered and we sat down and watched it and we were watching it. And I just remember saying to him last night, all right, fine. All these people now who are saying that the movie is out of date, that it hasn't, you know, really stood the test of time. I get what they're saying, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's a made for TV movie and it feels like a made for TV movie yeah. from the eighties uh, or early nineties rather. Um, but despite, despite some of its flaws and, and despite its budget and the fact that it was made for TV, I really feel like there's something special going on here, especially in this first part. There's something about these kids, these actors, um, and they're young actors, and they're not brilliant actors by any stretch of the imagination, but you really get the feel. And I've read the book, too. I also didn't read the book until I was an adult. Only in the past couple of years did I read the book. But the I feel like these kids really capture something special. And, and, and I think that's what's special about the book too, is that it really captures that feeling of childhood and the friendship that you have as a kid and, and the special bonds that you have. That's, that's something really special and powerful and something that never, you never forget, you know, despite the fact that you may go your own separate ways, you grow up, you know, you leave childhood behind, you know, there are those special bonds that you have with your childhood friends that are, are so powerful. And, and I thought that the book captured that well. And I thought that the first half of the movie captured that well. We only watched the first half last night. I haven't watched the second half yet, so uh, I don't know how I'll feel about that one in retrospect. But this one, despite perhaps many flaws, I, I just – I'm so nostalgic for it, and I just – I freaking love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's a, it's a nostalgic book. And really, I just uh, finished reading the book five hours ago. Like, <laughs> it, it's funny that we're doing this because as the movie was – as the brand new movie was coming out, I thought, oh, my gosh, that is a book that's been on my list forever. I really need to check that out. And my wife and I were flying back to the States, and so on our 12-hour flight – uh, you know, you're always looking for something to do and some reading material. And so I, I made, I was determined when we go back to the States, I'm going to find a used bookstore. I'm going to get the mass market paperback version of, of it. And I'm going to read it on the way back. And it is, uh, I did, I read it almost 12 hours straight on the plane. And I don't even know if I hit the halfway point. That's how yeah, long it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the time, I have to say, by the time I was done with the book, I was kind of sick of it. But it really taps those same chords. I mean, the whole theme, really, of the story is about uh, nostalgia, is about your childhood, about how you are going to forget about your childhood, too. That is a common thread. And, and all these things are really just sort of touched on. In the movie, because they they have to be. You can't. Uh, apparently, ABC originally wanted to. It was originally proposed to the network to do an, an eight parter instead of just yeah. two, right? And they were nervous about doing something that long, <laughs> which is yeah. And it it was supposed to be directed by Romero uh, yeah. too. <laughs> imagine which would that. Have been, which would have been cool. Yeah, I imagine that exactly. Well, there's so much that they gloss over, but it's interesting to see how they slip in little hints of things that they ended up glossing over into the movie. But mm-hmm. but by the time you're done, really, one of the threads that that go, and I'm interested too because it's been a while since I've seen this, and like you, I didn't go on to see the second part yet. I stuck to our bargain, <laughs> and. Uh, and it, I'll be interested to see if that aspect of the book, which is so strong, is carries through in the whole miniseries. And that is the fact that when these guys are called back as adults, one of the main things in the book is that they have pretty much forgotten about this whole major traumatic episode uh, that happened to them as kids. Uh, and, right. And it really becomes a metaphor for the fact that... Uh, as a child, you know, you have all of these life-changing experiences and you have friends and everything is such a big deal to you, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that yep, happens. Yep. And by the time you're an adult, even by the time you're in your 20s or your 30s, you look back and you can hardly remember any of it. You know it right. had an impact on you. You know it shaped who you are. But by golly, if you can pinpoint, you know, three or four episodes of, of, of what actually, you know, you did. Yeah. And let alone, you know, keep touch with your friends or, or remember your friendships uh, at all. It, it's 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 really cool. So then, when you see a movie like this, it does tend to stir up those kind of. It's like Stand by Me, you know. It's yes. It it just stirs up those memories that were long dormant in your own self of childhood, and like, oh yeah, I remember we had adventures like this, you know. And to us, like the idea of building a dam in the creek was like a. A cool thing to do, you know, could spend all day doing it and talking about it and then feel proud about it when we were done. I know. And like at the risk of sounding like an old guy, which I, you know, I realize that I'm getting old. I've accepted (laughs) it's cool, but whatever. Um, But like it's it's nostalgic also because, you know, I, I see kids today and I'm sure kids today are doing things that I don't know about. But, you know, when we were kids, we didn't have. Uh, iPads and and we didn't have 
all these things that to distract us, you know, bazillions of channels on TV, uh, Netflix, where, you know, anything that you want on demand. We didn't have that stuff so much. So we went outside and, you know, like yeah. <laughs> we rode our, we, we rode our bikes and, and we went and played in the dirt and played at the, in the Creek or at the pond or whatever. And like, I think that's part of the reason that I'm nostalgic, uh, for this too, because, it just highlights a different kind of childhood that I, I wonder if, if, if kids are experiencing today. And if I, you know, I, again, I'm sure times change, times have always changed. I'm sure kids have their own special memories these days, that I just can't particularly relate to. Um, but going out with your friends, riding your bike, going down and doing something like building a dam, uh, you know, down in the barrens or whatever, like these kids do. I have these memories uh, from, from childhood and it, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's so nostalgic. I could go on about it for days, but that would be super boring. So, well, <laughs> you know, we should, we should talk about the movie. <laughs> Do we have to? <laughs> I, I, I just want to say, Craig, I know what you're talking about, and, but and and again, we're always on guard of sounding like the old guy down the street. But I think you're kind of onto something there because as teachers and and in the education field, and you and I are pretty exposed to kids nowadays. Something has changed. You just gotta, you gotta point it out. And I, and it's not the kids' fault. Uh, no, you know we've talked about just just the world and how people seem to be a little more protective of children now than they used to be, uh, and they're, they're a little more coddling of children than they used to be. And so <clears throat> the idea that that a parent would let their kids roam free to run around and, and do these things that these kids do, kind of like we did before, is sort of a lost. A concept. I can't really see if you were to compare Derry, which is the town that this happens in, to modern day today. And Derry's 1950s, but it right, wasn't right. a huge jump from 1958, I think, to 1988. Really, no. Um, in the the freedom that these kids were given uh, to run around the town. But mm-hmm. this town is a cursed town. Um, there's yeah. a, uh, and again, it's way more obvious in the book than it is in the in the show. And maybe that is one of my biggest criticisms of of the movie. Again, you can only fit so much in. But the one thing that the book has that the movie do- clearly doesn't have is just this sense that it's not just this fantastic evil creature that lurks in the sewers that these kids have stumbled upon but it's the creature that lives in the sewers of this town that has lived there for for forever and and it, it has his tentacles and things into the entire town so that even the adults in the town kind of mm-hmm. tend to turn a blind eye they don't want to it's just in their nature to turn a blind eye to the to the evil and the bad things that are that, that exist kind of below the surface of this town. That really doesn't come through in this miniseries at all. Uh, you don't get right. a sense of that. It, it's trying, but it, it doesn't really happen. Well, and I, I think, you know, adapting this to the screen, I think, would pose a challenge to anybody. And I'll be really interested to see. I'm excited about the remake. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is, when they announced the remake, I was both excited and skeptical because I think that it's difficult material to translate because there's so much mythology in the book. Yes. Um, yes. 
that that would just be so again those of you who haven't read the book this will mean nothing to you that's fine skip to the next part of the podcast but <laughs> like there's stuff there's stuff with a, a a giant mystical turtle and there's stuff with like the ritual of chud and like all this weird stuff metaphorical stuff that really would be very difficult to translate to the screen. Um, and, and I'll be interested to see how the the new one handles all that stuff. There's also stuff, there's content in the book um, that you, <laughs> that is just so off. <laughs> I know what you're you talking chuckle, about. You chuckle. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. There's content in the book that like is questionable, even in the book, and that you certainly couldn't translate into film. I don't think successfully ever. Not even in 2017, when our our oh. sensibilities are are very different. Um, so you know, I, I, I what I thought that the miniseries did well was that. Whether you had read the book or not, first of all, it was an entertaining movie. But if you had read the book, it did try to – like what what my partner noted last night when we were watching it was that it was really fast-paced, like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Like getting a lot of content into a very – relatively small span of time but if but having read the book i appreciated that i appreciated nods to the book and i appreciated them trying to get as much content from the book as they could again who did did stephen king adapt this did he write the script nope nope he didn't he had very little to do with the, the the creative process of the of the miniseries well, what I what I, what I read today was that the director uh, Tommy Lee Wallace hadn't hadn't even read the book when he made the movie. Um, he at the time he said that he wanted the script to speak for itself. He wanted you know just to to focus on the content of the script and not worry about the book. He he read the book later and and then later on said that he wished that he had read it before he made the movie because oh. he felt he felt ultimately that the movie didn't do just service to the book which i can understand from a certain perspective um but knowing that he hadn't read the book i am really kind of impressed at how much of the content of the book they were able to get into this you know even if you know with commercials and everything in a miniseries even if it's three hours and 15 minutes or whatever they did a pretty darn good job i think it's a pretty good adaptation literary adaptation and and i think king was pretty happy with it and he's notoriously not happy with a lot of the adaptations of his work and sometimes for very good reason and he was uh he said he thought they did a pretty good job with it for him that's pretty good yeah yeah okay so let's talk about the movie And and you talked about how you had started the book, uh, or no no no, maybe I don't know if you had started it or not. But my experience was as a child, I had start a child, I don't know, thirteen fourteen, I had started it um, several times, and I couldn't get past the first uh, thirty forty pages because all I remember the first thirty forty pages were about these very stereotypically drawn uh, homosexual guys mm. um, getting getting killed. Um, and like, it was graphic and, and it, it, I don't know it, it, even at that point in my life, when 
I didn't even know who I was. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it was just unsettling to me for some reason, and I, I never got through it. it I is, got over it eventually. It is unsettled. Actually, you know, mm-hmm. the book is very fresh in my mind, obviously. And yeah. I was blown – the first several pages were were very bothersome to me. And uh, and I was also surprised uh, at the th- theme, the thematic material of it. Consider, I mean, it just kind of seemed very modern to even have that as, as subject matter, um, this sort of hate crime. Right. It seems like something an author nowadays would consciously put in a book because they're trying to make a statement. And here's Stephen King back in the 80s before this was really bubbled up to our high level of consciousness. We are going to have a hard time keeping this an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the the movie, after those opening credits, uh, and and we see in the opening credits a a scrapbook um, with old pictures, black and white pictures of what we will find out is the Losers Club. You know, this group of seven kids. Yeah, seven kids um, who we're going to be following uh, throughout the entire movie. And then it cuts to this scene where this cute little blonde girl riding her tricycle and uh, her mom uh, calls her in because it's going to rain and her mom's pulling in laundry. And so the mom takes in the laundry and this little girl hears this very creepy laugh and she looks at uh, the clothesline and and the sheets are blowing in the wind. um, And then suddenly behind the sheets appears this clown. Uh, who we later find out is Pennywise the Clown, um, and her face turning from a smile to uh, a look of terror. And then it cuts away, and the mom comes out, and and the girl is gone. And and that sets up basically the premise of of the movie, which is that children are disappearing. And in this first scene, once the police are there, there's a, another man there, a black man, who we find out um, is Mike. What you got, Sam? There's not much left, just like the last time. Anybody see anything? The mother said she saw They told you to stay out of this, Hamlet. I'm just a concerned citizen chief. I call six kids missing or dead a major cause for alarm here. Maybe just a rash of runaways. Kids get itchy feet. Right. A five-year-old in a toy car gets itchy feet. What, a seven-year-old trots down to Acapulco for a wild weekend? The boy's father took it. The other one? Chief, there's something terribly wrong here in Derry, and you know it. Hey, I'm the cop. You're the librarian. Okay. He is one of the seven kids who have dealt with this evil force 30 years earlier. And I really think that the way that they structured this was just genius for um, for TV. Yes. Uh, the fact that he's the one that remembers it. And then the whole movie is him calling everybody else from the losers club from this this group and and we get to be just very briefly introduced to each of the characters and we just get to very briefly see where they are in their adult life but we kind of get a a pretty strong sense of where they are in their adult lives and then we get to see each of their flashbacks and their experiences with pennywise and it all comes together very neatly of how they came to be this group together And, and i just think that the way that it is structured in that way as far as narrative technique just works really really well yeah it does and you'd have a couple different choices because the book follows a similar kind of narrative technique except that the stories of the past and the present are very intertwined so you're constantly flashing back from the from the present to the past whereas in this 
even though the the child parts are told in in flashback, it's mostly child parts. We get the entire child of side of the story in this right. first um, movie, uh, half of the movie or whatever. And that's that. You're right, is genius. But yet we still uh, are getting the adults rounded up, and it's getting through the um, messy business of showing us the adults and where they are now. And it also adds a bit to the terror, right? Because there there are these adults who are being called back after 20-some years or whatever, and they're still... They're freaked out about the idea, and so it does. It does build some suspense. Then, when we're watching the child side of it, like it just makes it seem that much worse. Um, what the kids are going through, or what we imagine the kids are going to have to go through, what we're going to see. Well, and each time any one of them gets called, they answer the phone, um, and and Mike, you know, says, "Hey, it's me, Mike. Do you remember me?" and Again, I'm not going to, you know, say that this is Oscar worthy acting on anybody's part, but you <laughs> always see you always see this moment of remembrance that it just it it's it hits them, you know, like a wrecking ball. Like it, it just comes back to them so quickly and you see this look on their face. <laughs> yeah. You know that that they've remembered this horror that they went through and for whatever reason they have forgotten. Now, of course, it's touched on much more in the book that it's really the influence of this entity, it, um, that has made them forget. Uh, and, and the movie, you know, touches on that a little bit, but not so much. But y- you get the sense that for whatever reason, they really have forgotten. And the remembrance of them just hits them, of it, uh, hits them so hard. Uh, and and it, as it would, because everything that they went through was pretty horrific. The first person that Mike calls is Bill, and Bill arguably um, is the leader uh, of the group. He is a very famous author uh, based almost certainly on Stephen King himself. (laughs) Stephen King does this all the time. He writes about writers all the time. He's written a book called The Glowing, (laughs) uh, (laughs) which sounds awfully a lot like The Shining. Um, But anyway, he and his wife... Okay, um, so Bill is... uh, The adult Bill is played by Richard Thomas, who um, people who are a little older than us would probably remember as John Doe or John boy Walton from the Waltons. And he is married to, uh, Audra who is played by Olivia Hussey, Hussey. who was yeah famous for Romeo and Juliet. But then she was also in black Christmas. We've talked about her. She's gorgeous. We love her. Um, they're married and she's an actress and they are adapting. He's, he's working as like script supervisor or something on a a film adaptation of one of his movies. And they're in England. It, It appears that, He's very successful, a very successful writer. He's married to this famous, gorgeous actress. Um, But he gets this phone call, and it flashes back to these seven young people, you know, standing in this swampy area, which is, we find out later, is the Barrens, is what they call it in Derry. Yeah? Bill, is that you? Sorry, fella, do I know you? This is Mike Hanlon, Bill, from Derry. Swear to me. Swear to me that if it isn't dead, you'll all come back. Sorry, Mike. For a minute there... You didn't know who I was. For a minute there, I didn't. Bill. It's back. And he tells her, because she says something like, well, I'll go with you. And he says, no. No matter what, 
don't come back. You have to swear to me that uh, you'll stay here. But then uh, we get Bill's backstory and it cuts back to what is probably the most iconic scene from this movie. It's it's the flashback uh, where Bill is sick. It, he's probably uh, 13, something like that. Um, and he's sick in bed and his little brother, Georgie, who is played by just this, the cutest little guy you've ever seen. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what his name is, but he's just got these round cheeks and dimples. He's just the cutest little guy you've ever seen. Please, Bill, tell me a story. Maybe later. The Magic Stone story. Please, Bill, please. Go but bug somebody else, you little cootie. I don't feel so hot. Georgie. For me? You made it for me? Can I go sail it? Georgie takes the boat out and sails it down the gutters, and it's really cute. And he's uh, you going alongside it. And... Yeah, skip it alongside it. Merp, merp. Uh, <laughs> U.S. Georgie or whatever he he calls it. Uh, S.S. Georgie, uh, but it ends up uh, going into a uh, a sewer drain or, or a gutter sure. drain. Mm-hmm. Storm drain, exactly. And he's like, oh no, but you know he turns to walk away and then popping up in the storm drain is this clown come on bucko don't you want a balloon i'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers my dad said so very wise of your dad georgie very wise indeed i georgie am penny wise the dancing clown you I'm Georgie. So now we know each other. T-Rex. <laughs> I guess so. And it's Tim Curry. And again, I oh. I could go on probably for a good half hour about Tim Curry. Tim Curry is a genius. Like yeah. he he he's just an amazing actor. And and more so than his acting, he just has a presence about him that mm. is really indescribable unless you are familiar with him. I mean, he's famous, uh, of course, for the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which he was amazing in. Him as Pennywise in this movie is one of the most iconic horror villains of all time, in my opinion. He played Darkness in Legend, which, for whatever reason, is a, a somewhat, I guess, kind of reasonably unknown movie from the 80s but he played basically he played satan uh and yeah. and just oh my gosh clue, think about clue oh he's great in clue uh, he's amazing yeah. he's just he's so good and you know there's not really much to him you know he looks like a creepy clown and most like he looks like the clown that you would see with a bottle of whiskey and a cigarette on the corner <laughs> yeah like it's crusty like the clown personified. Yeah, his, <laughs> his eyes are all bloodshot, you know, he's he's a little bit older. Um and and I read that he was really reluctant to take this role. And he wasn't the only one that they had considered for this role. They they had considered Alice Cooper. <laughs> oh wow. Uh, they had considered Malcolm McDowell uh for this role. 
but when they when they came around to Tim Curry, they really wanted him, and he was really reluctant to take it because he had just recently finished, uh, or, well, in the last several years at least, finished Legend, and the makeup process for that had been so intense, and he was so like it was miserable for him. Um, he was reluctant to take this on because he was worried about the makeup, and so they compromised and said, "Well, you know, we'll we'll keep it pretty simple," and they really did. I mean, you know, they they it, it really looks like they just used um you know kind of clown pancake makeup on him um i don't know if they did something to make his eyes super bloodshot but his eyes are super bloodshot throughout he he really sells it i mean he really sells it and i think that um that is what made this movie so scary for us there's something about his mouth (laughs) you know like yes, he has a way of of uh, I, I mean, and I think it's just him. It's the way he was born, but like the way that his mouth can go from small to big, and the way that it it works, uh, it 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 just there's it there always seems something sly and a little bit sinister behind it in in so many of his characters, and so that that comes through very clearly in this one. But yeah, they were they were smart. They were going to put like prosthetics, like high cheekbones and a chin and all this stuff to try to make this the clown look like a a scary clown. But I think it's way more effective and it really serves the story a lot better if he looks like Bozo the clown, you know, from down the street and only at these certain moments through the movie which as another thing that maybe is a little bit overplayed, um, you know, he gets these like green eyes and and fangs and <sighs> Kind of yeah, you zoom in on that. Uh, it's a kind of a, a, a small transformation, but a but a big one. Because the kid, especially in this case, Georgie, um, he talks to him. He doesn't seem that ex- concerned that there's a clown in the gutter. You know, he's kind of taken by the clownness of him, and you don't want an evil-looking clown. Um, he's not going to be very seductive to a child, hmm. right? Yeah, and and you're right. It's something about his mouth. It, it, like he's got just kind of this natural, like his lips. Like I, I can't even How describe, you describe it? it. There's no way to describe he, it. You, he's got this kind of curve to it. Like he talks mm. kind of out of one side of his mouth sometimes, and his lips just have this kind of really natural, but also really unsettling, almost like a snarl. Yeah. Um, and then the kid starts to go away, but. Pennywise says, but wait, don't you want your boat? Um, and he's like, yeah, I want it. And Pennywise is like, well, take it. And he reaches down and Pennywise is saying, um, down here, there's like a whole circus and balloons. And Georgie says, do they float? And Pennywise says, oh, yes. They float, Georgie. They float. When you're down here with me, you float <laughs> And he grabs his arm, and, and and we hear Georgie scream, and we see him scream, and that's really all we see in the movie. I mean, it's a made-for-TV movie. There's only so much they could show us, yeah. um, but the horror of it is there, uh, and we find out later, we hear later, somebody else says that his arm was just ripped completely off, and... Um, I feel like in the in the book it was even more gruesome, but I, I mean that's that's what five minutes into the movie, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and, and, and I am already horrified. Like it's 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 so good. It is so so that's that's the one part, and so we get that. And then another thing that's really smart about the structure of this film is that uh, these flashbacks are shown in sequence, 
and they had to do some finagling to, to, to make that happen. You know, so you call a person and their flashback happens to be uh, a little further down, you know, the story of the kids. Uh, and I think that was another really wise move. Uh, if you try to go out of sequence too much like the book does, um, it's very satisfying right. in a novel, uh, but it's not as easy to follow in a film. So Right. Yeah. Uh, the next one that, that he calls is the architect. John Ritter plays uh, Ben, and uh, loved John Ritter. John Ritter uh, seems to be a bit of a drunk, <laughs> uh, but yeah. he's, he's a famous architect. Now, all of these people have gone on to be famous, which is, I think, something that they just sort of gloss over in the movie, but uh, in the book, it's, it's significant. Uh, and, and I have to say, too, with all these flashback sequences, I really think it's just because they're trying to cram so much into a short period of time. They all come across as pretty melodramatic. Yeah. You know, the Bill and Audra and their reactions to each other and all that just are, are a little too much. Uh, ben is just a little too drunk. But anyway, and he's there with some girl. He gets the call, and then uh, he flashes back to uh, this, this bully uh, named Henry Bowers. And Bowers is teasing him uh, because he's fat. So when he was a kid, as he explains to his girlfriend, oh, I used to be really fat. Uh, and that was, that's Ben's thing. Is that he's fat? Uh, it, although <laughs> by today's standards, he's not fat at all. Ben is at school and he's introducing himself. He's new to town. He's new to Derry, uh, and he's introducing himself to the class. And in the meantime, uh, Henry Bowers is in the back making all these jokes. And and she's the teacher sends him to the to the principal's office. And his response is, "You're dead, Ben." Back kid. <laughs> yeah. And so we have a sequence where then he meets up with them afterwards. After Ben runs into really briefly uh, a girl, a uh, Beverly. Uh, who is a really cute uh, girl uh, that he likes, and she's going to be the female in this group later on. He's almost immediately smitten with her uh, and tries to go home, but he gets chased. He also writes her a note on a postcard. He writes her a poem. Mm -hmm. And he gets teased for that. Okay, so he gets pursued by Henry's gang. Um, He hides in a pipe, but then Bill and Eddie um, happen to be down there uh, in this creek stream area, which they call the Barrens. It's kind of the um, down below the road. It's, it's the wooded area, I guess, of town with this um, canal running through it. And they're talking about building a dam. And so Eddie terrorizes them a little bit. That's when Ben meets up with those two, right? Yeah, and that's what all these flashbacks are about, really. It's, it's about the their kids. own personal... Uh, it's about their own personal interactions with it. Um, but also about how they all come together and, and that's just what it is. And you talked, you, you mentioned that he kind of, he gets bullied by Henry Bowers. Um, it's actually really menacing in, even in the, the movie, um, it's very menacing. It was even scarier, uh, in the book. I mean, these aren't just bullies. Like I'm going to call you names and, and maybe, punch you or something these are bullies like i'm going to stab you like, yeah, they're like really like, psychopathic like, yeah yeah uh, and, and and uh the book gets even darker uh with all of that stuff but the in the movie you see like uh henry is going to try to carve his name into ben's gut uh, as a reminder um, or a warning or a punishment or whatever it is. Um, so these bullies really are very menacing. It's, it's not just like, oh, you know, somebody called me fat today. You know, it's, no, it's somebody tried to carve their name into my gut today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a distinct difference. 
<laughs> well, and, and I think that that's important and maybe more so in the book than the movie. But even in the movie, it plays a part that, you know, these kids are facing adversity from some supernatural evil force that manifests itself as a clown. But that's just one of their worries. You know, like Henry, ba- <laughs> Henry Bowers really and his gang are almost as as much of a concern yeah. and a threat to them as as Pennywise is. Um, and, and I feel like that's conveyed better uh, in the book than the movie. But and, and I think that that's why, again, haven't watched the second part yet, so I'll, I'll make more judgment later. But I think that that's why the first part is more effective is because kids are vulnerable. Adults can be vulnerable too, but you know, it, it just seems like adults have more weaponry at their disposal mm. uh, to, to fight a- adversity and, and yeah. threats. It, kids are so vulnerable and – Especially like you said in the 50s or even the 80s when we really had a lot of freedom. You know, we were running all around town unsupervised all the time. They were, they're very vulnerable. And, and they, and of course, in this circumstance, these kids don't feel like they feel like if they told adults that w- what was happening, that they wouldn't be believed. And they're right. Yeah. And, and there are several times throughout the movie that they try to tell adults, try to tell maybe stretching it a little bit, but you know, they, they go to adults for help and the adults are just oblivious to what is going on. At one point, Bill looks at a scrapbook uh, and he finds a picture of Georgie, like a school picture. It winks at him and then blood starts pouring out of the scrapbook and he throws it down and he screams and his parents come in and his mom picks it up and she's totally oblivious to the blood. Uh, and, and he, of course, realizes that she's oblivious. At another point, uh, Beverly, who we haven't gotten to yet, is uh, the, the girl in the group. She hears voices, children's voices coming out of the drain pipe of her bathroom sink. And then a, a red balloon comes out of the drain and, and uh, expands and then pops and it's full of blood and it splashes all over her and it splashes all over the room. And she screams for her dad who is abusive. Um, and again, that's highlighted more in the book. You see it a little bit in the movie, but he comes in and he's looking in the sink and he's got his hands on the sink. His hands are all in the blood, but he's obvious, obviously oblivious to it. And eventually like when he walks out, he like tweaks her, her chin and, and smears the blood on her chin. And, and so the, the premise is that adults for whatever reason, don't see this. They like, they can't see it. So these kids are alone. They're on their own. And that vulnerability, I think is really what makes that part of the book and the movie so scary. Because I think when, when we're kids, we all feel like that, you know, adults can protect us in some ways, but in our imaginations or in our perceptions, there are some ways when, you know, adults can't help and it's just a good story (laughs) it is (laughs) well they're in their own world here you know they really are and and again the town is not going to help them it's 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 against them almost as much as it is against them because it is really you know the town so uh bev gets called too and and like you said there's some flashback with her as an adult she's a fashion designer and she has an abusive husband named tom because she had an abusive you know father she ended up marrying an abuser this pretty common actually right ben tries to give her this poem he slips it under the door 
of her house and knocks on the door and runs around the corner and she gets it. And she thinks it's really sweet. What you got there? Nothing. Let me see that. You've been doing something you shouldn't. You've been fooling around with some boy. Poetry from some boy. I worry about you a lot, baby. Sometimes I worry a lot. Daddy, please. Not even 12 and already running with some boy. Let me alone. You just let me alone. Come here. She runs off. Ben catches up with her cowering in a bush and he takes her down and introduces her to the other two um and then right away richie and stan just happen to join them <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah and, and i i want to mention some of these actors because uh beverly uh, as a child is played by emily perkins who went on to star in the ginger snaps trilogy which i love oh, yeah. uh and 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 she's great um the adult beverly is played by annette o'toole who is also a very recognizable person the the Young uh, Richie is played by uh, Seth Green, who I love from Buffy, uh, and, and but who has done a, a bazillion things and is still you know super successful. Um, but you see, that's another thing about this movie. You know, it's it's from 1990, and some of the actors are unknown. Like the kid who played Stan played Stan, and then never did anything else ever again. Oh. Um, and the kid who played Ben, even though he's he seems familiar. He really wasn't in uh, very much, but really? some of these folks went on to do uh, some other big stuff. How about, um, how but, about the one who played Bill? He looks Bill. Oh, uh, yeah, he is that's sad. <laughs> Bill was played by Jonathan Brandis. He uh, took over the lead for Never Ending Story 2. Uh, one of his bigger movies was Ladybugs. He was also in the TV show Sequest, something or other. Wow. Um, uh, he died. He hung himself in 2003, which was coincidentally also the same year that John Ritter died uh, of a heart attack. So now we have everybody together and you know i i feel like i'm probably going to be skipping over some stuff like there's there's that's bonding right. stuff well and, and actually no we don't have everybody because we don't have mike yet oh that's um good. but there's bonding stuff like they they build the dam together and there's a, a a cute little musical montage and then they all go to the movies together they go to see i was a teenage werewolf and eddie uh accidentally knocks his popcorn off the balcony ledge and it lands of course on uh bowers and his gang and so they they all run out and they run away and i don't even remember exactly how this happens but i feel like it, it coincides with um the bowers group also bullying mike and, and again, bullying, not just like calling names or whatever, but threatening to put a cherry bomb in his pocket. And and eventually, uh, Mike runs away. They they all end up at this rock quarry, and they have this big standoff against the bullies, and they win. And that's that's really kind of how they all cement themselves together as a group. And and. It's it's actually Bowers that gives them the name, the Losers Club, and they kind of own that and, and take it uh, as, as their own and refer to themselves as that. But it's around that time that Bill confesses what has happened to him with Pennywise, and, and they all 
share their stories of what has happened. And what Mike, in the movie at this point, Mike has not had any uh, experiences with Pennywise. Uh, in the book, there's this really awesome scene with a giant bird. It's really scary. But um, in the movie, he hasn't had that yet. But uh, they, they, Mike's dad is a historian, I guess, um, or at least an amateur historian. And he knows the history of the town. And Mike has this scrapbook full of pictures and he flips through all of these things. And you see every 30 years going back, I think to like the late 1800s, where Pennywise appears in first like illustrations and then photographs. Uh, and then Pennywise reveals himself to the whole group. And that, to me, that stands out as one of the scariest scenes in, in the movie. Yeah, that was the one that scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid, is this uh, photograph that they're looking at comes to life. And at first it's just, uh, you know, uh, carriages going down the street and people walking around. There's clearly a carnivore or something going on. But Pennywise is flipping, doing backflips down the street, closer and closer to the, the frame of the, of the photograph. I'll drive you crazy and I'll kill you all. Every nightmare you ever had. I am your worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. And actually, his hand comes out of the photograph. Yeah, that, yeah, it's a pretty terrifying scene when I first saw it. And it's interesting because it again deviates from the book because it has to. It really simplifies things. And one of the things that it simplifies is in the book. It's really emphasized that Pennywise is more of a force. He chooses to show up as a clown, but that's not all he does. He generally right. picks everybody's biggest fear. Uh, and so, um, you know, Richie, he has a moment with a stovepipe. Uh, I'm sorry, there's a whole deal. I'm not going to explain everything. I'm just going to say one kid <laughs> sees a bird, one kid sees a werewolf, one kid sees, you know, all everybody sees something different. But in the movie, they simplify that. And for the most part, every kid just sees Pennywise. Um, and right. I think that was another smart move when you're when you're stretched for time and you're trying to simplify the story and you're also trying to give them all a story to tell that's similar. They don't have to make two or three different leaps to get to the fact that all of their weird experiences have some connection. You right. just make that the clown from the get-go. And so that creates some scenes that weren't even in the book uh, that just kind of replace them. Uh, for example, I believe it's uh, Richie. Uh, who ends up, or it's either Richie or Eddie who end up in the showers at the school. It's Eddie. Eddie's in the shower, and like the shower, kind, you know, all the shower heads come out and kind of assault <laughs> him or whatever. And then Penny Pennywise puts his hands up through a drain and stretches the drain out and comes up through the drain. And my partner screamed. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 he said, "Write that down." <laughs> <laughs> So I, so I have written in my notes, Alan screamed. <laughs> but but you're but you're you're right. Yes, uh, he, he can manifest into their darkest fears. I hear that they're going to explore it a lot more in in the remake. But I agree with you that I think that it was it was wise in, in this context to to focus to to give us a central villain in the book pennywise can manifest into whatever he wants to and he can in the movie too he yeah. just doesn't as much um but like at one point in the book he <laughs> he manifests as jaws <laughs> in the in the in the river like in the barrens or whatever and they don't explore that much in the movie but i i think that 
for the purpose of the movie, it was smart to kind of give us a kind of a central villain with the clown. Well, and there's one other distinction there that I actually think would have been better if they had put it in the movie. And that is in the, in the movie, it kind of does this traditional horror film kind of thing where Pennywise just like appears and scares everybody. Right. And each yeah. one, he's he's basically just exposing himself to them. Like, right. It's a pretty big deviation from the book. In the book, each of these encounters is supposed to result in the child's death. Like, right. Pennywise is very definitely trying to kill these kids, and they manage to escape. And so the book tames that, or the movie tames that down just a little bit. And I honestly think it it wouldn't have been too hard, and it might have been just a little more intense and effective to to have gone that extra mile. Um, but in this, you know, in this case, he's just, Hey, I'm Pennywise and I'm going to kill you eventually to, to each right, of the kids right. in turn. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I wish it had gone just a little more for the gut, uh, in that, in that respect. Yeah. And I agree with you, but watching the movie as a kid, um, and having not read the book, that didn't bother me. I mean, he was so menacing. I mean, there's really no explanation for why he would just be trying to scare them and not kill them. In fact, it almost seems like, why wouldn't he, especially if he knows or or he begins to realize that these kids are coming together as a unified force that is actually in in the book. He he's really never scared. Uh, Pennywise is never really scared. He's always confident that he will be able to take these kids out or at least until until the the last minute. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Until the last minute. He's never really threatened. He's confident that he's going to be able to take them out. Um, but yeah, okay, you know, nitpicking. Why would he just let them band together? But whatever. It didn't bother me at the time. It doesn't bother me now. So, well, and, and I, you could also make another argument because, and this is another line. I mean, it's again, it's heavily emphasized in the book. It's just touched on with a line. But he says something about uh, how they taste so much better when they're afraid. Because his whole thing is he literally like consumes the children, and so. And, and, like, children are supposed to taste better than adults because they have more pure fear and all that kind of thing. Uh, and so I guess you could make that argument he's just trying to fatten them up, you know? He's just trying to scare them up. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. After after they see him in the uh, in the scrapbook, um, Stan has been the one who has been reluctant to believe their stories, but um, they get him to believe. So now they, they all believe. Um, and Bill, uh, the kid who plays Bill, has this you know very touching moment where he kind of walks away from the group, and and then he says, "Help me! You killed my brother George, you bastard! Let's see you now. Let's see you now. He's scared of us, you know. I can feel that. I, I swear to God, I can." I, I want to kill it. They make a pact and they start to make a plan. We get uh, Stan's phone call where he is living in some sort of, you know, lavish house and he and his wife are watching Perfect Strangers together. He's the last one to get the call. And we get to see the climax of the movie through his his flashback. And what happens is that they they plan this out. They uh, get slingshots and they they uh, practice and they find out that Bev um, is a ring 
ringer uh, with a slingshot. Like she can, she can nail her target every time. Um, I think it's uh, one of them. Richie uh, has some silver. He he stole his mom's earrings or something and, and melted down this silver. And they believe that silver kills monsters. And they end up all going down into the sewers. And and Henry Bowers uh, and his crew follow them. They're they're planning on getting their revenge. And I don't know, you know, I don't know if Henry is planning on killing them or what he's planning on doing. But they're all going down there. Uh, Bowers and his group. Uh, are the ones that end up getting getting taken out first. Uh, they split up, and, and the one that splits off from them gets taken down by Pennywise first, and then another one of the other guy uh, from Bowers' group gets taken. And Pennywise takes a different form. We don't really see it. It manifests itself mostly through light, these bright lights that are coming through these sewer pipes. Um, and it's really cool imagery because it's yeah. the, the, the light is just – you can see that it's progressing through the pipes, but it's just streaming out of these small holes in the pipes. Um, it's really it, – it's very scary and very menacing, and, and with the sound design – um, it works very well, and we get some POV shots from um, the perspective of whatever it is or as it's manifested. And the way that I understood it is that when it's in that light form, it's kind of at its actual natural form. Yeah. And and we and we see it, you know, progressing through the pipes. We see point of view shots of it uh, moving through the pipes, and it gets all of Henry's guys. And it gets, uh, it doesn't get Henry. Henry just sees it in all its glory. And because he sees it in all its glory, his hair turns completely white and he's just like stunned. stunned. Uh, yeah. yeah. The kids find one of the, the pom-poms from the clown's costume. So they know they're on the right track. Stan at some point gets separated from them. Uh, the Bowers group gets them for a little bit, but then they all end up back together after it has gotten the Bowers group in this very spooky uh, kind of central point in the sewers where there are tunnels going off everywhere. Um, and it approaches. And at first it kind of tries to trick or tempt some of them, right? Like it appears as Georgie. Yeah, uh, to try to kind of uh, tempt Bill, it appears as Bev's dad to try to get her away from the group. But they stand firm, they hold hands, but then it gets really foggy in there, and somehow Pennywise gets himself in in their circle and gets Stan and holds Stan up by his neck up against the wall, and Beverly tries to shoot it. Uh, with the the slingshot, but she misses. And then Eddie approaches with his asthma inhaler and says, this is battery acid. And he sprays the clown's face. And I guess the suggestion is that because the power of the kid's belief is so strong or because Pennywise believes in the power of their belief that it actually is like battery acid and it like melts part of his face off but eventually, Beverly, with her very last shot, the very last piece mm -hmm. of silver she has, she shoots at it, and it hits him in the corner of his head, and part of his head breaks away, and that bright, bright light shines out, and he screams, and he 
pirouettes. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best way to describe it. (laughs) Into the sewer drain. And and they they try to grab it to keep it from going down. It sounds like it's dying. So they all go out. Fortunately, in the movie, they choose to skip the child orgy scene. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Imagine that on network television. Right. That that one comes out of left field in the book. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Uh, That's that's a whole other discussion for a whole other time. But they skip over it in the movie, fortunately. And they get out. And then we revisit that flashback that we had already seen where Bill says – we hope it's dead, but if it comes back, promise me we'll we'll come back. And then it cuts back to Stan's uh, current day, and his wife goes up looking for him, and he's in the bathtub. And rather than going back to face it, he has killed himself. He's he's slit his wrist in the bat in the bathtub, and uh, he's he's written it in his blood on uh, the shower wall. And and that's 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 where the first part ends. And that's a really effective ending. I remember being absolutely freaked out by that um, by that ending when I was a kid. But I, I have to say, the fight, the battle with him is—it's it—it just highlights the difficulty of taking, yeah, you know, of 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 taking something that's written and and translating it to the screen, especially considering what was written. What's written is a very um, supernatural kind of fight. Um, yeah, they're almost kind of like going into this other dimension of sorts to where it is and and even even reading it you're kind of confused as to what's going on Uh, well yeah bill bill is like floating through space and there's the giant turtle (laughs) oh there's the turtle talking to him there's There's all kinds of weird stuff yeah (laughs) and then of course they're limited by budget to what they can do with the movie so again this was one of those same situations where they kept him as Pennywise for the most part um, so that he was a little more vulnerable in that form anyway. And they, they kind of dispatch him in that in that manner. The final battle of the first part of the movie is actually more similar to an early bat, earlier battle that they have with him in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the scene in the book where they're in the old abandoned house and uh, he oh, appears yeah. as the leper and the werewolf. Um, the final scene in the first part of the movie is very similar to that, much more similar to that than it is to the actual uh, final battle with them uh, as kids uh, in the movie. But I actually like this. I like that they face off against Tim Curry uh, in the first part of the movie. Um, we're going to talk about the second part of the movie for next week, but the the final battle uh, in the, the second part of the movie, the climax of the whole miniseries, is really what left many people very dissatisfied and understandably so we'll talk more about that but um i liked that we got to see the kids showdown with pennywise in his clown form as tim curry for the climax of this first part of the movie yeah and i also liked the fact that this allowed them to highlight an idea it's not really it's an idea in the book um, but in the movie, it kind of becomes the central notion 
that uh, their their belief or they can use these aspects of their personality as their strengths. So like yes. the kid who's always got the asthma inhaler, oh, it's battery acid, and he sprays and it hits him. Um, the girl who's a good shot, you know, she hits him or whatever. The kid who has to deal with a werewolf or whatever has contributed the silver uh, to shoot him with. And all of these things um, have an effect and contribute. So it's almost like almost every kid has a hand in uh, dispatching him, uh, at least in this in this first half. I don't really remember how they do it in the second half, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that next discussion. But And I felt that was the way that it was going in the book, and it turns out to be not that way at all. So, yeah, so it, for again, movies have to sort of simplify things and have to really coalesce a little bit more and get a lot more together in, in a shorter amount of time. They don't really have the time to go off on all these crazy tangents. And uh, and so I thought, yeah, it worked. Was it the best choice they could have chosen? I don't know. Um, I don't know. And we've already talked for far too long, so I'll, <laughs> I'll talk about my hopes and expectations for the sequel next week. <laughs> right. uh, agreed, agreed. Okay, so uh, we'll look forward to meeting up with you again next week to conclude it as we watch the second half and talk about the entire film. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play. You can also find us on Facebook. Like us there. Leave us a comment. Let let us know what you thought. And until next week, I'm Todd. And I'm Greg. With two guys and a chainsaw. Chainsaw.